Check one. Yeah, I got it. All right, if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Gabriela, we have any extra Bibles? Can we get a couple, please? 1 Peter, that way they know I'm not lying. No, we did 1 through 11 last uh, week, so we're going to do 12 through 19. Uh, by way of introduction, last time the message was identifying with Christ in suffering. The book of First Peter is all about suffering. You have these Christians that are dispersed. And um, as I'm uh, studying, I just recognize that this is right before the, in history, it's about 67, 68 A.D. 70 A.D. would be uh, Israel's conquered and the temples destroyed and all of that. And so this is right before that. You're going to have a hundred straight years of persecution that comes upon the church. And these guys are just bumping right up against that. And so they're going through some difficulties for being Christians. So last week, identifying with Christ in suffering, um, a big point that we made was, as Christians, we don't sin. And that's crazy, right? Of course we sin. We struggle every day. But what the Bible is saying is we don't live a lifestyle of habitual sin. We are no longer practicing a habitual lifestyle of sin. Where before we were saved, we couldn't help but sin. There's no, no, no ands, ifs, or buts about it. But now that we're saved, we're being sanctified and we're being separated from the world and separated to God. And so we hit on that a little bit. There's a scripture I didn't make a lot of comment on last week, but uh, love covers a multitude of sins. And I think that's important for us because he talked about that phileo love, brotherly love, that we would be um, fervent with it. And I did break that part down uh, last time, but just excited about being able to love on people and to express what God has done to us and for us. And so as Christians, we should express that to others that, uh, man, I just want to love people because God loves me. And so that was important. Um, And then we closed with, let me see if I, what was toward the end? I closed with um, the, the, the contrast between the, the speaking gifts and the ministering gifts. And so there's service gifts, and then there's uh, these gifts that come through our ability to be able to speak them out. A word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, tongues, the interpretation of tongues, exhortation, teaching, all of those different gifts. But there's also gifts that talk, uh, that are ministering gifts. Uh, showing somebody compassion and being able to just meet them and and be hospitable to them and just all these other gifts. Gift of faith is is a service gift. Gift of love. And so, very important. Um, Those are the things we went over last time. The title of today's message is Suffering as a Christian. And just by first glance, what do you think it means to suffer as a Christian. You get mocked at, you get laughed at, you could get scorned, right, for being a Christian. So that persecution for being a Christian, definitely. What else, Clyde? Okay, and what, what does that look like practically? What do you think? Suffering for something that is so far of your own. Okay, so you're living right, and yet suffering comes upon you. 
or specifically as a Christian, it comes upon you. Well, Anne mentioned persecution, but that one would be the one Clyde's mentioning is you're doing right. And because you're doing right, um, certain things would befall you. Okay. Uh, you might lose out on stuff. Oh, I didn't get that promotion. Well, you didn't get that promotion because you don't drink and they're all drinking. They're all getting drunk and that's all they got raised up or they're all doing this, that or the other. And so we're going to see what we're supposed to do with that. Ella, did you have something? No, you good. All right. So we're going to start in verse 12 and we're going to go all the way through 19. Then I'll come back and we'll break it down. First Peter chapter four. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you give us these instructions. You give us these guidelines, Lord. And we should look a certain way, Lord, if we are called Christians, if we name the name of Christ, if we belong to God. And uh, not everybody in the world belongs to you, Lord. Not everybody is your child. And so as Christians, Lord, we want to know um, what we're supposed to do in the midst of suffering as a Christian uh, and what it's supposed to look like. And so we thank you, Lord, for the instructions that you give us in your word. And so bless this time as we offer it up to you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busy, as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. So we've been going through 1 Peter and we've seen all kinds of different sufferings, all kinds of different exhortations as we go through difficulties. Suffering as a Christian is definitely a different category of suffering. It's suffering because you're honoring God. It's suffering because you're doing the right thing. It's suffering because you're trying to obey what God has called you to and, and to live a certain way, to live separated from the world and separated to God. Your vocabulary may very well be different. Your actions are definitely going to be different. Even your thoughts are going to be different than that of the world. And so it's very important, just an awesome little section of Scripture. This first verse... Uh, verse 12 has personal, uh, a deep personal meaning to me. I was uh, working at a school district uh, and I got fired for pretty much being a Christian. I can say, I mean, there are other things that I can talk about, but for the most part, it was for being a Christian. And so I'm walking, I'm in the elevator and I'm about to go down after, right after I got fired and I'm in the elevator and I'm like, that was... That was strange. And I said it again. That was a, that was a strange 
Like, I'm just like, that was a strange thing. And I got my car. And I grabbed my, my bag. And I pulled out my Bible. And then I remember, wait, isn't there a verse in the Bible that mentions the word strange? And I said it twice. And look at verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. And then I read the rest of the verse, and I began to rejoice. I just lost my job. Yeah, I'm going to be poor. I got to go tell my wife. This is crazy for being a Christian. But God is with me. Isn't that all we need sometimes? Just to know, God, you're in this. You're with me. You're going to walk with me through this. You're, you're in this somehow. The reason I was working at that school district, because I was driving two to three hours, whether it was coming back and forth to another school district in Santa Clarita when we lived in Downey, and I was doing so many things at church that I was like, Lord, I just want to get closer to home. So I found this opening at a school district in Orange County. I applied. They hired me. And I was there just a very, very short period of time. And then they're like, yeah, we don't need you anymore. You can leave. And I was like, that's strange. That's really strange. But I knew that God was with me. Okay. So those first two verses, the second one, 13 says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Two extremes. Our tendency is to embrace the glory and joy and avoid partaking of Jesus' sufferings. Or we morb, what, what is my word here? Morbidly fixate on the suffering and forget that it is but a necessary prelude to the glory and the joy. So we go through difficulties in life and God wants to extract something out of that in our lives. Glory and joy. What? So we can't fixate on the glory and joy. We can't say, no, all this suffering. And where's, your, where's the glory and the joy? Are you glorifying God in the process? Are you looking to God in the process? It's difficult, isn't it? But that's the purpose. And that's what God wants to do in the middle of that. But we dare not deny the place of suffering and building godliness in the Christian life. Though there is much needless pain we bear. This is um, one of the commentaries that I was reading. Uh, Though there is much needless pain we bear through lack of knowledge or faith, there is also necessary suffering. If it was fit, a fit tool for Jesus to be taught, Hebrews 5.8 tells us, it is a fit tool for his servants to go through suffering. It says that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. So we can learn obedience through suffering. How? When we go through those difficulties, we look to God. We, we let God know, Lord, this, this is hard. This hurts. I, I, can't, I can't do this. I don't even want to really do this. But as we're looking to God, God shows himself strong to us. He meets us where we're at. Now, Here's the strange thing. The whole world is going through suffering, right? Because it's a fallen world, right? They lose loved ones. They get sick and go to the hospital. They have ailments. 
They get fired. The difference is we have the Lord. And in the midst of that, we're called to glorify the Lord. And then there's this joy thing that we can have in the midst of God's presence being made known to us as we go through the difficulties. Here it says, to the extent. It implies a measure. Those who have suffered more in Jesus will rejoice more at his coming in glory. It's to the extent. Notice again in that verse. Let's see, where's it at? Um, But rejoice to the extent that you partake, partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. And so, if we were to design our lives and we had this blank sheet, if you will, and we were to put all of the wonderful things that we want to experience and all of the wonderful things that we'd want to like not have happen to just here, I want my life to be this. We wouldn't be living the life that God has called us to live. We would be God and we would suspend God being God in our lives. Basically, we would be on the throne of our hearts if we were to want to design our lives and it would go exactly according to that idea, notion that we have. Somehow, God is able to take the very things that come into our lives and He's able to be glorified through them if we'll let Him. We can kick and scream, we can whine, we can cry, we can hate it, we can be bitter, we can, we can do all, there's all kinds of reactions that we can have. Or we can look to God, find what we need, glorify Him in the process by experiencing what He wants us to experience. What is He doing? He's shaping us, pruning us, cutting away the rough stuff, right? All of that. That's what He wants to do in the midst of this. We are selfish. He wants us to be selfless. How is he going to get us who are selfish to become selfless? As we go through difficulties, we look to him and then he says, look, I've got something for you to do. I've got somebody who I want you to talk to. I have someone who I want you to reach out to. I want you to be an extension of me. And with the comfort that I give you, I want you to go and express that comfort to them. The lessons that you're learning, I want you to be able to go and give that to someone else. At the men's study... We had an individual, it was neat because we were able to break up into small uh, group, not even small groups this Saturday, but one-on-one, two guys got to get together. And so it was like, find somebody and pray about maybe something that you're struggling with. And it was awesome to see how the Lord was able to put people together who were struggling with similar things. One guy had already gone through it and he had already figured out, look, this is how you do this. I went through exactly what you're going through. And, and, and man, it was a struggle. It's hard. It's hard, huh? Yeah, yeah, it's hard. Right? The guy's right in the midst of it. Another guy had gone through it, and those people can come together and minister to one another. And that, what, a, what a joy. What a blessing. We see God glorified in that process. Um, verses 14 through 16. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. 
Isn't it kind of neat that that little um, let none of you suffer as a murderer? Oh, we don't want to murder people, right? As a thief, well, we don't want to be thieves, right? An evildoer. And then he has busybody in other people's matter. You know, having your nose in other people's business can create a lot of drama in your life. And so I, 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 it's a surprising list when you get to busybody. Murderer, thief, right? And then he throws in busybody. So be careful. Mind your own business. I tell people, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Why are you all up in the, up in the Kool-Aid? You don't even know the flavor, right? It's like, just people getting all up in the, in the business. It's like, I am exposed as a pastor to a lot of information. And I believe that that information is dispensed by me on a need-to-know basis. And the overwhelming majority of people that come in my life don't need to know. They don't need to know. We have a rule at the men's Bible study. Whatever you hear in this place is only talk to one person, God, on your knees when you leave. That way we can have the safety of knowing that if something was shared in confidence, unless, of course, it's you know, illegal or something, we got to, oh, dude, you just brought 16 kilos of cocaine over from the, no, I, gotta, I think I got to report that. Yeah, you know, unless a crime was, was made or something, you know. But for the most part, I think it's healthy. It's healthy. So be careful, you know, with the busybodiness of wanting to know more information that you probably do. And, of course, all these other things. So he's excluding, if you're suffering for sin, that's not glorifying God. And this whole thing of suffering as a Christian is you're glorifying God if you're suffering as a Christian, when you're looking to God. Because God, he takes it personal. Let me read some notes I wrote. Suffering for the name of Christ is a blessing because it shows that we really are following Jesus. And that we are suffering because we are identified with him. We don't glory God for suffering, but we glory, uh, glorify God in suffering. And we glorify him for what he will accomplish in us and through us with the suffering. And so I think that's important. We're not just glorifying God because we're suffering. We're glorifying God in the suffering as we look to him. And then he begins to reveal to us what he wants. I was watering my grass one day uh, crying. So I'm watering my grass crying because it was my desire when I went to college as an administration of justice major to be a police officer so that I can go into community policing and I can help young boys in the community, in some LAPD hood, to be able to be a father figure for them. And that was my heart as a Christian. And then... I got on four lists, police departments. And the one that I was furthest along was LAPD. And then they asked the question about previous drug use. Ooh. And I told the truth. Ooh. And they said, unfortunately, at this time, our standard is such that we can't accept you. But wait, wait. That was like, like nobody would have ever found out. It was like in high school. Like, wait, wait. That was 10 years ago, and I haven't done nothing since I became a Christian. It's awesome. God set me free. He delivered me. I just want to be able to pour into some young boys' lives, to be a father figure in a community. That was my heart. That was my motive. And the door shut. And I didn't. I was like, what? 
I did the right thing, though. Like, I told the truth. And, cause, and the reason I told the truth was because I figured to myself, I said, if I lie now, when do I stop lying? You know what I mean? Like, if God can't get me in, because God's pretty big, right? God's all powerful. And if he wants me in, he's going to get me in. And I did that, and I was like, wow. And then I look back, and I'm like, wow, God gave me an opportunity to not only influence men, but young adults, pastor for a while, high school teacher for a long time. I was, um, you know, senior pastor. I influenced a lot of people. And that was my only desire is to be able to pour into people, to teach, to, to, you know, influence for the gospel, for God, to show that there's a God in heaven that loves you. And so I look at God's plan, and I can look back and say, God knew what he was doing. Because I got a buddy from high school who went at the same time. So him and I are talking one day, and he's like, yeah, dude, so I was running, chasing these dudes, and I'm the one that chases them all the time because I'm the only one that's in shape. All the other ones are like donut-eating fat cops. And so I'm chasing them in a field, and he tells me this. He says, and this dude has a gun, and he puts it like this while I'm chasing him, and he's running, and he's shooting. And I'm like, I'm too old for this. And I'm like, Lord, that's what you, that's what you saved me from. Because I'd be chasing dudes, and I'd be being shot at. Thank you, Jesus, you know. And so you look at that, and you're like, God had a better plan. But when we're going through it, isn't it tough? Isn't it like you don't understand? Tears, you're crying, you're like, no, I tried to do the right thing and look what happened. But God has a better plan. And if we insist on our own plan, we're God. And we've set up an idol in our lives, ourselves. But if we flow with God and we let the things that come into our lives happen and we continue to honor him in the process, God is glorified. Verses 17 to 19. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Now is our time of fiery trial, according to verse 12. The ungodly will have their fire later. The fire we endure now purifies us. The fire of the ungodly will endure, the ungodly will endure, will punish them. We must always remember that we'll never be punished for our sins. Because Jesus was punished on our behalf. But God can use the fiery trials to chasten us for sure but to hone us, to prune us, to do all of these wonderful things. The same fire that consumes straw will purify gold. The fire is the same, but its purpose and application is different, and its effect is different upon the straw and the gold. Even so, Christians do suffer some of the same things the ungodly do, yet the purpose of God is different, and the effect is different. The word here in the Greek, commit, is a technical word used for leaving money on deposit with a trusted friend. Such a trust was regarded as one of the most sacred things in life. And the friend who was bound by all honor to return the money intact. It is the very word Jesus used when he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so look at that verse again. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful Savior. Christians 
though need not fear, they can commit their souls to him, recognizing him as a faithful creator and ourselves a pliable clay in his hands. So much of the agony we put ourselves through in times of trial and suffering has to do with our disregard of God's faithfulness or of his place as creator. He is sovereign creator with the right to do with us as he pleases. Yet he is faithful and will only do what is ultimately best for us. And that's what faith tells us. God knows what he's doing. And there's nothing haphazard in your life. Though you think, ah, ah, this, this must not like be God's best for me. No, God has your best interest at heart. And your trials, believe it or not, are tra- tailor-made for you. Tailor-made for you. They're the very things that God wants to use to be able to bring you to the place that he has for you. And the place that he has for you is something that's awesome. It's wonderful. It's this incredible thing. This is how I see it. I see from God, imagine like this big old um, wheel that turns on this big old like Niagara Falls kind of spigot, right? And God has it on full blast from his perspective in heaven. And he's got this big old channel that's just shooting our way. Do we want to be under the spout where the glory comes out? We're resisting. We're fighting it. We're holding back. We're not letting God do the very things that he wants to do in the midst of what's going on in life because we're so focused on the circumstances. We're so focused on the imperfections of life that we're not looking to God and just all that he wants to do in the midst. And we're like, we're stopping it so that it's like, we get like little spits of his glory through our attitude. But the things that God wants to do is just like, ah, like his spigot's on. He's already turned it on. It's already coming down. And we're, who's stopping it? We do. We do that. Why don't we just get out of the way? Why don't we get self out of the way and just keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured. He already demonstrated his love and how much he loves us by the cross. How much more does he want to love us and bless us and show us all these wonderful things? But we think, ah, my plan would be better if you were doing this, God, and if it was happening like this, and oh, here's an interruption, here's an intrusion in my plan. It's not your plan. You were bought. God owns you. Submit to his will. Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says his will is good, acceptable, and perfect. Why do we think we have a better plan than God has? And yes, suffering happens. That's what Peter's writing to. I find it interesting that Peter goes from, in the Gospels, when he walked with Jesus on the earth, when Jesus, remember that that chapter where, you know, who do men say that I, the son son of man, am? Uh, some say you're Elijah, some say you're this, that, and the other. But who do you say that I am? What does Peter say? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, 
Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you, Simon, that upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. In the next breath, Jesus says, guys, I've got to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer at the hands of the religious leaders. They're going to crucify me. They're going to kill me. What does Peter do? Jesus, you're not suffering. Jesus, I'm not going to let you suffer. Jesus, I'm not going to let you go through that. I will stop them. And he does. He tries, right? He cocks off Malchus's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane with a sword. He really does try to rescue Jesus from suffering. What is Peter writing about in his epistle? The glory of suffering. The glory of suffering. What a, what a switch from his early understanding, his immature view of life. God bless you. And what the Messiah was supposed to be all about. After he saw Jesus suffer on the cross and be resurrected and restore him back and then receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he writes this epistle and he's like, guys, it's all about suffering. And it's all about what suffering can do in a person's life. Eyes on Jesus. Eyes on Jesus in the midst of it. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard, guys. We're in this together. But when we keep our eyes on Jesus and we look to glorify him in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of not understanding, in the midst of everything that's going on with it, eyes on Jesus, you're under the spout where the glory comes out. And the joy is unspeakable, but we're glorifying God. And we're in the fellowship of sufferings.